Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is October the 7th, and our passage for today is 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now let's go back over what we've learned so far. 1 Corinthians was written because of correspondence that had been given to Paul while he was at Ephesus. The church at Corinth that he had just left was in division. It was divided. And I've gone into trying to introduce to you the cultural background which brought about that division. But within the church of Jesus, all of that goes away. Not that it doesn't exist, but there is a higher regard for others than for ourselves. And Paul has taught this everywhere that he went. When we become followers of Jesus, we come under his rule. He is Lord. We are his servants. We are his slaves. He is the master. And so we follow his lead. We do what he tells us to do. And the Bible says the greatest thing we can do is love God with the totality of our being, our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, everything that's within us. But the second thing is to love others in the way that God has loved us. And that means that we serve people. What brings about trouble in our own individual relationships with others, in our families, in our church, in our relationships at work? It's when someone has an attitude of ingratitude. It's when someone begins to believe that they are Lord over someone else. And for a child of God, it is when we begin to think that we are here on this earth to be served rather than to serve. And that's not being like Jesus. When Jesus was among us, he said, the one that will be the greatest among you will be the servant of all. When someone asked him, why did you come? He said, I came to serve, not to be served. And so we have to be followers of Jesus in every aspect, not just be theologically right, but to be ethically right, not just to be ethically right, but in every way to follow Jesus because Jesus was perfect. We're not, but we can follow him. And that is follow the patterns of life that he gave us. Jesus said, this is the way that people will know that we belong to him. It's not by what we say, it's by how we act, how we treat one another. Yes, words are important, but life is far more important than that. Because without a life to back up our words, it absolutely means nothing. And so Jesus said it best in John chapter 13 in the closing verses just before they left the Passover meal and went to the Garden of Gethsemane. The Lord said a new teaching. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. And in the same way that I have loved you, I want you to turn around and love one another. And if you love one another in the same way that I've loved you, by this, by this, by what? By the way you love one another, will all men know that you're my disciples. Well, you cannot love people and lord it over them. We're not Lord. Jesus is. We are servants. And the more you serve people, the more you meet their needs, the more you show them Jesus, the more they will want to follow you, love you, be around you, listen to you, respect you. Now, some people are not going to respect you or love you no matter what you do. 
Those are not the ones I'm talking about. I'm talking about the people within the fellowship of your church, within your family. The Lord talks about that in chapter 4. In chapter 5, he starts dealing with questions that have been asked to him. Now, we cannot cover every chapter in 1 Corinthians. And in every chapter, we cannot cover every aspect of what's being said. It's too much. It's too deep. It's too long. And even those of you who have the greatest capacity to listen, if I were to expound every one of these chapters in its entirety, especially some of them, the podcast would be one hour. You say, well, I can listen. Well, everybody can't. And so there's going to be plenty of opportunities for you to listen because we're going to be having a lot of Bible studies online, on video, on a YouTube channel, on TV, on radio for you to listen to. And you'll be able to study along. But these podcasts are designed to be 15 to 20 minutes to help us to focus on the chapter for today. And so when we're getting to chapter 6, we have to understand the five chapters before. Now, when we come to chapter 5, we turn a corner because now Paul has answered Chloe the best that he possibly can. So now he's answering the elders of the church with questions that they had concerning problems that had arisen in the church that they needed to deal with. And they were telling Paul how they had dealt with it. And word had gotten back to Paul from other places. And remember, everything that they were doing was wrong. They were handling everything in a fashion that was not pleasing to God. And Paul spared no expense in helping them to understand. He spared no words in telling them where they were wrong, because what he was trying to do was encourage them to help them. And yes, if need be, to discipline them to get in the way of God. And so in chapter 5, which we're not going to cover, but if we were, it's the first question that's answered because it was blatant. There was an incestuous relationship in the church at Corinth, and the church at Corinth was boasting about how broad-minded they were that they could accept anybody into their fellowship. They could encourage anybody in their fellowship to come on in and we'll accept you just like you are. Well, that's just not Bible. You see, God accepts us like we are and he loves us just like we are, but he loves us too much to leave us like we are. He changes us. He brings us to repentance. God wants us to change our behavior, to change our attitude, to change our minds. And that's the opposite order. The order is to change your thoughts, your minds, which changes your attitude, which changes your conduct, which changes your habits, which changes your character. And this is what God desires for all of us. And so the Corinthians had a long way to go. They should have already been way ahead of where they were. That's right. God has expectations for us to grow at a pace that he gives to each one of us. But no one, no one, after months and years of being a follower of Jesus, should be wallowing around in the same sins they always have because there has to be a break. There has to be repentance. And God expects that. You say, well, I'm not perfect. Well, welcome to the human race. But that doesn't mean that you do not live a life of godliness. And that means when God has told you that something is wrong in his word, you and I need to follow that. And we need to pray for one another to be strong. We need to pray that God would help us to overcome temptation. Now, God will put trials and testing on us that will break us. I've heard people say, well, you know, the Lord will not put more on you than what you can bear. That's not Bible. God will put 
more than you can bear to break you and to break me, to get us to the point, to break our will, to break our spirit. You see, the Bible says God loves a broken and contrite spirit, not just will, but spirit. We need to come before him broken so he can fix us because we need to be broken always. Otherwise, our self-will will dominate us. And so God desires for us to serve him. But when it comes to temptation, which is a solicitation to do evil, God says that he will make a way of escape that we are able to escape and able to bear the temptation that comes against us. Testing and temptation are two different things. Testing is by God, and it is designed to bring out the good in us for our good. The devil brings about temptation, solicitation to do evil, in order to bring out the bad in us. That's two separate, different concepts, but many times the same word is used. It's the context that tells the difference. And so these people were boasting about being broad-minded. It reminds me of what we're seeing today. Hey, come on in. You can live a life of homosexuality, of adultery, of gossip, and God goes into all of these things in chapter 6, and we'll get there. He says that fornicators idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners. That is, those who have this identity, that's their life, that's who they are, will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because that's not the identity of a believer. You see, God didn't make us to be homosexuals. That's a lifestyle choice. God didn't make us to be adulterers and fornicators. That's a lifestyle choice. God didn't make us to have a transgender identity. God made us a male or a female, and that is the identity of who we are. That is our DNA, and nothing will change that. All hell cannot change that. And God never would because his design for us is to be male and female in his image because he has a plan and a purpose for both genders. And there's only two genders. You see, we've gotten the idea that in order to be loving and godlike, we have to accept any kind of behavior. That's wrong. That's ungodly. That's worldly thinking. And God doesn't like it, and you better not like it. That's not being broad-minded. That's being sinful. That's going beyond what God does. God says, repent. And he said, such were some of you. This is 1 Corinthians 6. He said, such were some of you, but now you've been changed. You see, there was a man living in an incestuous relationship within the church at Corinth, and people were patting him on the back and saying, when people would say, do you know what this church member is doing, the member of your own church family is doing? They would say, oh, yeah, you see, we accept everything here. It was bringing us shame and reproach and the judgment of God upon the church. And Paul said, when you come together, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit, this was a saved man, might be saved. Because he's gone astray. You see, people who love Jesus can go astray. We can be deceived. Adam was perfect and he was deceived. Eve was perfect and she was deceived. And if they can be deceived in a pristine garden where sin had never been in the earth, never been in the world, don't you know that you and I who are sin-cursed, who are living around sinful people every day of our lives in a sin-cursed world, in a sin-cursed environment, that the very nature within us, yes, the Adamic nature, is craving sin. Only the power of God can deliver us. Only that which is divine can deliver us. Only the Spirit of God who lives within us can overcome that and break the power of canceled sin. That's right. 
God has freed us. And so he says, walk in the freedom wherewith Christ, Messiah, has made us free. We just learned about that in Romans. And so all I'm saying to you is, in chapter 5, they were saying, how do we handle this situation? And they were doing just the opposite. And it's interesting that Paul had to write the second letter because this man, when they did what Paul said to do, he repented. And you know what the church did? They wouldn't let him. In other words, he came and he said, look, I have been wrong. I understand what you're saying. I accept your admonition, and now I'm going to repent. And you know what they said? Crawl. Beg. That's not enough. No, no, we're going to punish you. This is what we do. You see, when someone comes and they come in repentance, you know what we do? We shoot them. I'm talking about spiritually speaking. Years ago, I heard Bill Gaither say that Christians and the Christian army as such are the only ones that kill our wounded. And that's what we seem to do. You see, when somebody messes up, we say, that's it, you're out. It's like saying to a little baby in the family, okay, wait just a minute. You stumbled. We saw that. You're trying to walk, but you stumbled. You're out. You're out. No, you don't get another chance. No. What do we do as a parent, as a loving brother or sister? We pick them up. We dust them off and we say, here's the way to go. Now try it again. Try it again. Try it again. We're so patient. But when it comes to others, we can always find something to feel superior about with them. God says you need to have a broken heart. And when someone truly repents, we need to receive them back in the fold. And this man was being overwhelmed. He had lost all hope because he did what they asked him to do, but it was not enough. And I could really, really go off on about three hours here after 47 years of ministry of watching lay people, whatever you call the person sitting in the pew, pastors, staff members, others who have messed up. Now, they may not be in the leadership position again that they were. They may have to go through a period of restoration, but can people not be restored in Jesus' name? Can people not be forgiven in Jesus' name? My Lord in heaven, what are we doing? We're killing one another. We're killing our churches. Paul said, be firm, be godly, do the right thing. But when someone repents, for Jesus' sake, let them back into the church and let them go on and help them and love them. After all, God loves a broken heart. God loves a contrite spirit. God loves a repentant heart. So he comes to chapter 6, and people within the church at Corinth were taking one another to court over spats. Over everything, they were taking people to court. Now, let me just say to you, you might disagree with what I'm about to tell you, but you need to listen. Within the context of 1 Corinthians, he's writing to a local assembly. You and I have been taught all of our lives that you and I cannot go to court, secular court, with another believer. And we have no recourse if we're dealing with a believer, which we encourage people to do, that if they mess you up, if they cheat you or whatever, then you have no recourse. You can never take them to court. This is not what Paul's saying. What he is saying that within a local assembly, we have jurisdiction over our own members. Yes, we do. Even by law, we do. We can determine our own membership. We can exclude those whom we choose. And we do that based upon a biblical basis. It is withdrawing fellowship from them. And what Paul is saying is, 
Is there not anyone in the local church that can make a decision and a judgment? You have to go to somebody, a lost person, to get something, a judgment? Do you mean that an elder in a church or elders in a church or deacons in a church or wise men and wise women cannot make decisions on even menial things, but you're going to take one another to court? He says, if it is a brother in the church, why don't you just allow yourself to be cheated? Let God deal with that person. Let the church, let the elders deal with that person. If you're going to be defrauded, then is it worth going to the secular newspaper? Listen, the secular authorities need to stay out of the church's business, and the church needs to take care of its own business and take care of its own. We need to help one another. Now, there's churches who have abused that? Yes. Are there churches who do not deal with sin? Yes. Are there churches that are out of line? Yes. That's not what Paul's dealing with. Paul is saying you need to judge things within the body yourself, and you don't need to be taking people within your own assembly to court. Now, the principle is you don't want to take another believer to court if they're truly a believer. But also there's abuse of that that says, okay, well, I'm a believer. You can't sue me, and I'll just cheat you and cheat you and cheat you. No, if they are truly a believer and they are within a local assembly, that local assembly needs to deal with that. The elders need to deal with that, and they need to exercise discipline and let it be known what has happened to this person and ask people to stay away from this person because they have not repented and they're cheating people. They're deceiving people, and they need to be brought into accountability. Now, again, this is two, three hours of teaching because you've got to set the context. There are parameters to all of this. But this idea of somebody just say, well, I'm a Christian, and you can't sue them, that's not what the Scripture teaches. There are recourses even within the family of God about how to deal with things and people who have been cheated and defrauded, people who have stolen people who have deceived. But that is to be done within the confines of a local church. I can't go to another church in the Tri-Cities area of Tennessee or Knoxville or Chattanooga or Nashville. Just because I'm in Tennessee and I'm a Christian, I can't go and say, okay, this person here in your assembly, he did this and I want him taken care of. Well, you have no say. You can do that, but you have no say in that other local assembly. Now, you might, if you're in a monolith church like a Roman Catholic, or you're in a denomination where all the churches are inexorably linked together, but if you're in an independent church like a Southern Baptist church or an independent church of any kind that is not bound by other churches and two other churches, those other churches may withdraw fellowship from you as a church. But within the local assembly of independent churches, under the Lordship of Christ, the Word of God is the final authority. And within that, every single church has authority over its members. Again, unless it is a connected church, if it's an autonomous church, it can do that. But if it is a monolith of a denomination like United Methodist or Presbyterian USA or whatever the denomination is where churches are bound to each other and they have elders and they have a hierarchy, well, then they can do that but not an independent church, not one that is functioning under the Lordship of Christ and voluntarily in network with others. This is very important. The Apostle Paul said, you need to deal with this within the local church, and you need to hold court in the local church and have what we would call arbitration. Don't take it to a pagan leader. Don't take it to someone in a secular court. Deal with it within the church. 
There's enough dirty laundry out there for people to see. We don't need to hang it out on the line in front of our church. We don't need to dangle it at town hall and city hall in the courtroom. We need to deal with it within our own families and within our own churches. You see, these are the questions that really we deal with in life every day. And we need to follow the authority of Scripture. God has an answer for everything. And we just need to let the Bible be our final authority and not what you think or what I think. As a matter of fact, the Bible trumps everything. It trumps the Constitution of the United States. It is more powerful than the Parliament in England. It's more powerful than the Parliament in Israel. It's more powerful than any president or prime minister or king or queen. The Word of God is forever settled in the heavens, and it is the final authority to which any child of God should appeal. For On the Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.